And welcome to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. And if you guys need a special battery, whether it's a regular battery or uh, something special that's very rare and hard to find, stop by your local Interstate Battery retail location and talk with a battery expert. These guys are very knowledgeable in the products that they sell and they can get you what you want when you want it whether it's a truck battery whether it's a special battery for like a rangefinder or trail camera batteries any type of battery these guys are able to get it for you so stop into a uh, interstate battery retail location talk with a specialist or if you want to learn about the culture the company of interstate batteries visit interstatebatteries.com Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable. This is a Houndsman XP podcast with your host, Steve Fielder, and me, Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. crazy this is houndsman xp unfiltered this episode is going to be a wild conversation with seth and lauren and i we sit down with uh, lauren's mentee andrea lutz from wisconsin and uh, this is a a great story about andrea and how uh, she became involved in hunting and the bravery of this young woman amazes me she stepped out of a culture that was not familiar with hunting and uh, embraced the culture of hunting and now she's got her own hounds so she's learning that as well the other reason she's so brave is because she chose lauren as her mentor and you're going to hear some crazy stuff uh, that they've been through and they go through together so you are going to really enjoy this we're going to have a lot of fun in this but we also dial it back towards the end of this show you're going to want to hear that part for this memorial day special while we're talking about memorial day what a price our veterans have paid for our freedoms and uh, we're going to talk about that in the episode but one way that you can show your appreciation for veterans is to go to our website at houndsmanxp.com and follow the link to freedom hunters you can find freedom hunters on the web as well at freedomhunters.org But Memorial Day is about recognizing the ultimate sacrifice of America's warriors that paid for our freedoms. And what an honor it was to take a Gold Star family member, Tanner Babb, who lost his father in uh, the conflicts of our modern era in uh, the Middle East. And that was just a, a great opportunity for us to get involved. So 
If you are looking for a way to truly memorialize and show your patriotism, don't pass up the opportunity to support Freedom Hunters. They're taking warriors from field to field, getting them integrated back into uh, culture here in the United States and trying to heal some of those those battle wounds that they may have. And they're including the Gold Star family members in that. So you want to make sure that you're supporting Freedom Hunters in honor of those veterans. Another product I want to talk to you about real quick is Paws Are Protected. This product was developed by Kevin and Nancy Hall of Dogs Are Treed, and I've been using it for about a week and a half. I've got a plot hound that that is uh, hard going. He can cover a lot of miles, but his feet needed some help. His paws were not in condition, and Paws Are Protected is a pad conditioner that puts moisture into the pad and revitalizes that pad and makes it more elastic and and pliable so it holds up better. Uh, Dry skin is not healthy skin and this is actually a product that nourishes the pad up front before you ever get started and helps you avoid injuries. And it's easy to apply a couple days a week. So you can check out Paws Are Protected. Again, you can go to our website and follow the link to Dogs Are Treed. It's on our sponsor page and pick up a jar of Paws Are Protected. Last thing before we get into it is Patreon. You've got one week to become a Patreon member so that you can be eligible for our June giveaway. Last month in the month of May, or we, we did our first drawing. We gave away almost $100 worth of merchandise to a houndsman from Maine. So, we drew that we'll draw that live the first week of june for people that are existing patreon members and anybody that comes on board before the end of may you will be included in the june drawing you're going to get a cool steel tumbler it's it's a stainless steel insulated tumbler it's 27 ounce you can put your favorite beverage in that keep enough coffee in that to last you most of the morning if, if you're me and uh, about half the morning if you're my wife. So anyway, check us out on Patreon. You're going to support this podcast. You're going to support organizations like Freedom Hunters, and we would appreciate it. You're also going to be eligible for exclusive material. Seth is pouring out, pumping out some good stuff and putting it on that Patreon page. I've got some stuff coming up shortly for the Patreon page, but you're going to have exclusive uh, deals on merchandise that's coming up in june we've got a, a really good product uh, company that's going to give you discounts for being a patreon member so you'll want to make sure that you get signed up before the end of may so one you will be supporting this podcast and helping us preserve protect and promote the lifestyle of the houndsman and the future of our sports so you'll want to join for that reason you're going to be included in it drawings every month with your Patreon membership. For as little as $1 a show, you can be entered into a drawing that's worth up to $100 per month. The other thing is, it's going to be available to you exclusive deals, discount codes, things like that. So make sure you're joining us on Patreon. We really do appreciate your support. You guys are great listeners, great 
fans. We love every one of you. And make sure you're going to our website and contacting us. We love to get your questions. We're going to cover a few of those in this podcast uh, with Andrea because I know that you've had some of it, some of the same questions. I've seen them come in. So don't give up on sending us that correspondence with questions and things that you would like to see on the show. Uh, anything we can help you with. Reach out. Let us know. If you try to listen to this episode at work on your earbuds, be prepared for your co-workers to stare at you as you are laughing. Sometimes hysterically, I hope, because we had a good time making this podcast. So I really hope you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in and spending your time with us. And here's the episode. Welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast, and we have a wild crew on this Friday night. It's a long weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Happy Memorial Day, America, and uh, hope you're enjoying your weekend. But uh, Seth Hall, Lauren Vranny, and Andrea Lutz are all in the house tonight with me, Chris, and we are going to be somewhat, Lauren, somewhat unfiltered. Not totally unfiltered, <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> All right, I'll 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 take it down a notch. <laughs> uh, so, hey, we we just wanted to have a Memorial Day, kind of our own virtual Memorial Day bash right here on the podcast, nice. and uh, it. uh, it's beautiful weather where I'm at. I hope it's beautiful weather where you're at. How Pretty you guys darn doing? good. Yeah, I was good today. I was out with the dogs. It's like I like overcast, like not too hot. That's my that's my peak weather. So I'm happy. I, I feel like you're the person who would sunburn easily. I do sunburn easily, almost immediately. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> Lauren! Why don't you yes. why don't you introduce Andrea? All right. So the you just heard Andrea. Um, she is my good friend. Um, but we've only been friends since like October and we met at a DNR learn to hunt program and we'll talk a little bit uh, more about that later. Um, it's too bad that we don't live like closer. We live about what? 45 minutes away. I would say, yeah, 40 minutes. If you're hot, if you're going fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 40 minutes, Lauren's speed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 45 for my speed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so she is brand new into this uh, coonhound life, newer than I am, but she's got a lot of great perspective and ideas and questions and things like that that I thought it was important to have her on. Um, yeah, welcome so to I'm the podcast. Well, I'm so Thank glad you. you. I'm so glad you did bring her on, Lauren, because you know that's that's the survival mechanism for our lifestyle is recruiting new hunters and and it's really mm -hmm. exciting when uh i mean there's no it, they're politicizing everything these days uh you know they're politicizing COVID 19 they're politicizing everything's politics and um they've even politicized the demographics in hunting and uh, it just so happens the latest studies show that that um there's more and more 20s and 30 year olds getting into hunting that's exciting that's actually I mean, exciting news it's it's super exciting and the thing that like us houndsmen need to remember is if you really believe in this if you believe in what you're doing and you have a passion for hunting with hounds coursing with hounds whatever it is with dogs um terriers you name it 
we have to be those people to mentor and to bring new people into um, our heritage. Yep. Yep. I agree. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do um, as best as I can. And uh, that's, that's one of the reasons, you know, why I do this podcast because I, I believe in what we do. Good message. You want to end it right here? Seth, you got anything to add before we sign off? (laughs) (laughs) At the wrap. (laughs) Seth, you've got some microphone issues, buddy. What's going on? There you go. It's coming back now. Hmm. My microphone has been being naughty, and I don't know why. Yeah, we're uh, we're social distancing here on Skype, so. Did did your new puppy get to it? Maybe your Saluki. Uh, no, I think uh, maybe I'm just having some technical there issues. It's coming I guess. back. I had to. It's coming I had back. To, like, reboot it. It's there. You, you can hear me all right now. Oh yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, weird. Okay, yeah. Well, it didn't matter. All the fans need to know is that I was complaining about how sleepy I am, and uh, I just spent all uh, all night slash all day, I suppose, with my mentor. Um, we were out having fun and messing around and doing some scouting for the fall season and, and doing a little hunting on the side there. So we were up till about well, five in the morning. You did some crazy stuff last night with $25,000 pieces of equipment. I did. What? Yep. Uh, yeah. So uh, we were thermal pig hunting all night and uh, oh. that is an incredibly good time. To, oh um, so um, feral pig control obviously is a big big issue throughout the United States and um, the eastern half of New Mexico has been invaded by feral pigs coming from Texas and they're moving up certain river valleys, um, moving across drainages through agricultural setups and uh, I took a pretty long road trip yesterday and got to work back at uh, probably dusk at 8.30 and we hunted till about 5 in the morning and brought in a porcalypse. It was a good time. And, uh, <laughs> It was a, it was a blast. I mean, you're gonna hunt with thermal scopes and um, tannerite. And, uh, what's up? No, the, any the bait, range on those any things bait and tannerite? No, no tannerite. No, okay. we were being uh, <laughs> we were being efficient. Okay. So um, you basically just cruise cruise agricultural setups with the thermal scopes. Um, we were using the Trigicon Reap IR sites that have um, you can see a pig probably out to about mm, a mile. And uh, then you you see them out there, um, you get downwind and you close the distance on them and you can walk right up to them at night. It's pretty amazing, honestly. It, oh, wow. I could get really nerdy about it. it gets, I mean, like I get really pumped. We so I'm like having to really you range get it nerdy. In. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get I could get super pumped. So I'm going to work hard to rein it in. But um, you uh, you get downwind of the pigs. And um, when you look through that thermal scope, it is so amazing and hard to describe. You feel like Predator. You know that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> where you can see their body heat? Yeah. Those, I don't want to like plug brands or anything, but that's the only experience with that thermal scope I have is that Reap IR scope. Get to the chopper! Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I haven't so, like, seen it. It's incredible. <laughs> the, the scope is so crystal clear. You can see those pigs. I mean, you we so you get about 20 yards away from them. You can walk right up to them at night and it is just, you can see the moths buzzing around. You can see every blade of grass, every leaf on every tree. And wow. you just come up on them. All of us line up on them on zero, three, two, one. <laughs> just start dropping them. Holy so what, are you crap. Shooting, what are you shooting with? What round? Uh, we were using 50 Beowulf, 300 Blackout, and 308. Oh, my goodness. So you were so, saying, yeah. And these are all suppressed and subsonic. 
So um, the suppressors on them are about you know foot and a half long, and then all the rounds are below the speed of sound. So uh, I'm sorry, below the supersonic barrier, so they don't make a pop. So I'm not kidding; those guns sound like pellet guns when they go off. And they're just like AR-15 platforms, AR platforms. Uh, uh, one of them is the 300 blackouts an AR platform, and then the other two are custom hand like custom bolt actions. Hmm. So are they pretty cool, heavy though, with the suppressor no, and everything? Not okay. at all. No, no, no. These are. I'm very spoiled. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, these are unbelievable. Like I hunt with a flintlock. I mean, I, I'm a big game hunter, and I, I'm addicted to hunting traditional muzzleloader. So I hunt with a flintlock. So to to that dichotomy of switching from a flintlock to a space age, right. like semi-automatic, <laughs> 300 blackout with a suppressor, and what, what's so awesome about that subsonic ammo is that is a it sounds like a pellet gun, so it's not ruining your hearing. And B, you can mow down a sounder of pigs and then just drive like 350 yards down the road and there'll be 10 more standing out there that haven't heard anything. Okay, wait. So it's called a sounder of pigs, not like a flock of pigs or a gang. Yeah, yeah. A group of of pigs. Okay, according to Australians, a group of pigs is called a mob. I learned that in Luke Pywell's interview. But we speak proper English here in America, so... (laughs) So it's a sounder. Is a herd of pigs is called a sounder. Yep. Sweet. And so, believe it or not, a group of ferrets is called a business of ferrets. What? So oh, I like rad. that. Yeah. Like, and, oh, and let's go see the crows. let's go murder see the business. Crows. Yep. So, murder of crows. Okay, that so one. That's a cool one. So if you've got geese, what? You've got mouse, mice, meese, right? Yeah. No, they're not meese. <laughs> Probably <laughs> not. I'm pretty sure I never goose, learned that word. Goose, geese, guys, right? Right? Or is it a gaggle of oh, geese? Oh, it's a gaggle of geese. So yeah. It's not, but is one? Why is one goose? Yeah. So I don't get it. If there's more than one, one mouse is mice. Why is it more than one goose, guys? That's a good point. I know. Moose, meese, mooses. Your next level. Your next level. Absolutely. I would have to. I don't know. Maybe there's some like English rule about it that I didn't pay attention to in high school or something. Exactly. Now, Seth, I've got a question for you. What is a group of those little ground squirrel things <laughs> called that we were talking about? <laughs> a group of spotted ground squirrels. Hmm. That would probably be like a, a gaggle. A sack, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, so the yes. reason I bring this up is because we had been talking previously about these super cool animals um, that have an extraordinary body part. Yes, yeah. yes. So it came out that we were – it's a long story, but ground squirrels, it came to this. We were talking about how like occasionally you'll catch a male raccoon that is rather male. And I was joking around. <laughs> rather that, male. There's Cer- a, certain there's times a, of the uh, year, yes. Yes, yes. And as, again, during the ground squirrel rut, when ground squirrels are mating, there's a species of squirrel called a spotted ground squirrel, and its scrotum is a third of its body length. And so, like, they are... <laughs> is that the one that's in the they meme? What, they're, like, standing up on its hind legs and... No, no, that, that's Photoshop. That recent one, no, I've seen a recent one that's, like, a regular, like, gray squirrel or a red fox squirrel. Oh, yeah, that was on Steve Rinella's Instagram. He had a picture yeah, of a squirrel. Yes. That oh, wow. Yeah. Well, Seth, oh, wow. Can get, okay. Seth can get so, ones that are, get, get photos that aren't Photoshopped, right? 
It's true. I got to sneak go. around on my hands and knees, but I, and I'll have to be sneaky. And I don't want to tell anyone what I'm trying to take pictures of, though. No I, I feel like I get made fun of a lot of yeah, my Yeah, you'll unit. get put on a list but, for saying that. <laughs> but if Stephen Ranella had it on his Instagram, like, we're not the only people talking about this That's stuff. That's right. I mean, yeah. It's very true. Like, but seriously, when Andrea and I were hunting raccoons <laughs> in coon season, um, she asked me i think in a text message she didn't even take a picture like why wouldn't you take a picture i don't know and what do you say like do raccoons have big balls or like are they supposed to be and i'm like i, I i've never experienced something that really like i don't know <laughs> yeah you're like what are you talking about and i was like oh shoot because i didn't notice until i was halfway through skinning it you know and so i've got gloves on it's kind of a messy process i couldn't really get out the old iphone and snap a pic so I just thought, I guess I must have missed the balls on the other raccoons. I don't know how. And then I asked. Yeah, that was a female. <laughs> yeah. They didn't cover that and learn to hunt. We can tell the difference. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like interesting stuff that you learn all the time. Just, uh, hey, just skinning an animal. And then, you know, we had a little conversation with uh, Chris and Steve kind of trying to figure out what what we're dealing with here in Wisconsin. Yeah, one thing led to another. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. During the yeah. the coon rut. So <laughs> all right, so when you skin a coon that's in rut, a male raccoon, when you skin it, do the testicles stay attached to the hide? Yes. Well, um, a little. Well, it depends on how you skin it. Like I've skinned it so they come out and I've also skinned it where like the ball sack is still attached. Okay. All right. Um, now, I well, did not. Go ahead. No, go ahead and go ahead and explain how you skin did... how you skin a raccoon. Okay, and but I've been told by someone who is like a big time trapper who mm-hmm. actually flushed all my hides this year because I didn't have like the right tools and the boards and all that stuff. Right. Um, that I'm doing it an old way, and um, there could be a better way to like quote unquote save more fur uh-huh. but yeah. what i do and i what i was actually taught in the dnr program and it could have been different this year because i didn't go to the, the skinning portion is i go i cut around the ankles like just to, like below the little foot and uh right right then right I at the heel from, right at the heel yep, pad yep cut that out and then go from the vent up to where i made that cut around the ankle on each side and then I go around the vent and I split the tail all the way down and open the tail up and use my tail stripper and get that off. And then, you know, you work the legs down and you basically pull the whole thing down, um, using the knife when you need to release, um, portions of the hide or cut some muscle or fat. Mm -hmm. And, um, where I, then it gets hard when you get to the front, the front arms you know you got to get your finger stuck in there to open up a little hole so you can pull down and then cut around the front uh paws um that's that's where it gets hard for me and um then the head making sure you cut the ears low enough so that you're leaving enough ear um then you big eye have trouble with yeah yeah then (laughs) you gotta make sure you want to make sure you don't (laughs) cyclops your raccoons yeah, so I'm like trying to be careful when I'm doing the the eye part because I still want to get some of like that, like okay. the membrane area. But yeah. sometimes I screw up. Um, 
Yeah. So like, from that, first of all, I like the I like how you were first talking about balls, and then you used the word vent while you were describing a raccoon. So exactly. this, this podcast is going all over the place with right. our appropriateness. Yeah. Right. And then so, secondly, I'm pretty sure the word tail stripper would be like the most hardcore prison name of all time. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> just, as soon as you said that, I was like, "Yep, I'm going to use that if I ever get there." You know, <laughs> you know. I was also it's thinking about weird stuff ahead. that there's weird stuff that happened to us. And I was teaching the guy I was with about like weird animal stuff. And one thing that you know, when you're out there in the thermal hunting for wild hogs, you need to be able to differentiate between javelina and wild hogs. Obviously, they're pretty similar, but they're actually not. Right. Um, but Javelina cool, is like a little pig with stripes, right? It's a pet. Well, they're a, they're pig-like. They're not an actual oh, they're pig. They're a peccary, exactly. which is a um, yeah. They're a pig-like animal, um, but they're not actually a true pig. Now we're gonna get so, nerdy. No, no, I'll keep it light. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I always wonder because cool, there's a lot of targets of them in 3D shoots, and I never understood what they were. Okay, anyways, go yeah, on. There you go. <laughs> So they're way cooler than feral pigs, in my opinion. And uh, <laughs> they're probably the, one of the most underappreciated denizens of the desert. And one of my favorite things about them is they're, they're communal defecators. So, like, whenever one goes, they all huddle around and go at the same time. <laughs> which, <laughs> like how girls go to the bathroom together? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, my favorite habit about them is that, like, if you mimic the sound of a wounded animal, a wounded any kind of wounded animal that's like a prey animal, they'll rally to the defense of that animal. So you can actually like call a group of them in by sounding like an injured rabbit or an injured baby deer or an injured, you know, young javelina. They'll all come into the battle. Even like little tiny ones, they'll all come in ready to duke it out. They don't come they in are, they don't come in to, to prey on the animal, they come in to protect it. Yeah, so they're almost completely like strict vegetarians. The oh. like fecal isotope analysis of their diet, they they do eat occasionally it's been seen that they'll eat carrion and they'll eat eggs and lizards, but like it's not really super well documented with them eating. They'll eat like dog food if it's available and stuff, but um, yeah, mostly vegetarian. And, uh, but what was cool is like, you know, we're like crawling around on our hands and knees and I'm like, Oh look, like javelina latrine, like awesome. You know? And everyone's like, awesome. I hope I don't (laughs) put my hand in it while I'm crawling around. Yeah. And then it got to me thinking, I was listening to a news report on NPR recently and they were talking about how like outdoor defecation worldwide is on the decline. And I was like, Oh man, obviously Havelina didn't get the memo, but anyway, it was a really bad (laughs) joke. And I was like, I was glad it was just me and two other people in the dark alone because the crickets were really loud and I just kept watching. Literal crickets. Let's get back. Let's get back to raccoon skinning. Okay. All right. So Lauren, here's, here's a, Here's the way I skin a raccoon. So from the from the rear foot, the pad right where the pad meets the fur, and you got to start out with a. But always, I've got I carry I use a, uh, a case muskrat, so it's got two blades on. It's got a spade blade and it's got a drop point on it. I use a drop point blade, which is pointy, to make all of my initial cuts. So from I I'll go let from. You know right now. I used my kitchen paring knife, but it also it worked very well. Okay, so get you a good knife. That's tip number one. But go from heat pad and go straight across the back of the leg, above between the the vent and the tail, and go yeah. straight across. Go all the way across to the other heel. Straight yeah, across. Yeah, that's one, what I do. One cut all the way across. Okay, so now you've got the vent on the side of the cut away from the base of the tail. All right, and then go from the heel 
and make a V-cut right up in front of its manliness, right up in front of the Arkansas toothpick right there. So you're leaving what a What if it's a female? It doesn't matter. It, if, oh, it's okay. a, if it's a female, you can just strip it straight down. But when okay. you're preparing fur... They're gonna they're gonna trim all of that belly fur out anyways because when they sell them at a sale, the the buyers they always dry a coon hide with the flesh side out, and right and the inspection window. The inspection window. So they're gonna take all of that out anyway. So there's no sense in in trying to trim around it and be careful with it. I mean, just cut it out. And I always leave that that triangular patch of fur right there on the carcass. It stays on the carcass, and. Okay. Uh, and then, then as I strip it down, I mean everything. I actually carry a um, uh, one of the heavy duty choke chains. It's probably an eighteen inch choke chain, and that way, and it's got a uh, it's got a, a a brass snap on one end, and then I just ring run the ring through itself like you do a regular choke chain for a dog. Put it around one foot, put it over a limb, and then I can pull, and I pull yeah. it all down. I strip the tail, I pull it all the way down until the shoulders start to come out, pull it again, and then reach in, pull the feet out, okay, pull them as far out as you can, and then just cut cut it off. You don't have to worry about trimming around the, the feet again or making that ring around the feet. Just pull it down, yeah. stretch it down over the foot, and cut, cut it off. cut through the joint? Nope, cut cut in front of the where the because you're it's like taking a, a sweater off, okay? So now you've got well, the... Yeah, you've got yeah the, you cut around to... Release the 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 paw from the fur. Yeah, yeah. But I always yeah. cut. I always like imagine imagine when you're taking your coat off or your sweater off, and your hand's still inside of it. Okay, you know where your fingers are, right there. Imagine yeah. the, imagine the, the raccoon's fingers. No, I go. I'll have to show you sometime. But I go right in front of that paw, and just slice okay. right through it. So right in front of his little raccoon fingers. Okay. Right in front of the toenails. So, because all that's going to get trimmed up anyway when you dry it. Um, right. <clears throat> they're going to trim all that excess leg fur and stuff off on the, on the stretcher, or it usually gets trimmed off. So that's that's how I do it. Yeah, I've still got a whole box of uh, the dried raccoon hides sitting by my front door. Mm-hmm. Um, ready to go to the tannery, but I'm trying to find a box that's big enough, and that's proving to be an issue. So I called them and they're like, yeah, you should just make your own box with like cardboard and duct tape. So that's just going to have to be a project. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you still have to mail me or bring oh, your yeah, mink. That's right. Mink. That's right. Yeah. She's a got a mink, a mink that uh, a pretty, pretty crazy Brittany Spaniel got. Not my Brittany. Oh, really? <laughs> Someone else's. That, and, yeah. Yeah, like that. Tell us about uh, about that, Brittany. Uh, my, my, my Brittany Spaniel has a sister that's owned by my boyfriend's dad. And she is like a fur-finding machine, which is weird because they're bird dogs, they're pheasant dogs. But she is crazy about raccoons and finds raccoons all the time and has... Do they live in a trailer park? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Because you said my Brittany's sister's owned by my boyfriend's dad something. I thought maybe this was a trailer park. Brittany Spaniel. Okay. All right. <laughs> but yeah, she kills them on the ground. and Yeah, right? she killed a raccoon. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then, 
Yeah. He's a wild little bird dog. I never, I don't know. I, don't know I got a half bird that, dog, but... half pit that's pretty gritty too. So they, it can happen. Right. It can happen. Yeah, totally. So well, you've true. got your, your bird dog, Hank. Yeah. And uh, then you've got another dog. And then now you've got another dog. I know. I have three dogs. I have like full crazy dog and crazy cat lady at this point. But, oh, yeah. Um... Cats too. But tell us about uh, <laughs> your, your new venture. Her. Um. Yeah. I. She's sitting here right now. I have. Uh, I guess she's nine weeks old now. A little Walker pup. Uh. I named her Storm, and I got her about a week ago here, and we've been, you know, working together and kennel training and running around the yard, and it's been fun. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> the other night wasn't so good uh, with crate training. Huh. Yeah, last night was bad with crate training. So I'm having her in the crate at night, and she's been doing pretty good. But last night, she just was not having it. She's just, like, howling and screaming, just totally losing it. And I've crate trained dogs before, and I know it's just part of the process, but it really doesn't make it any easier to handle at 2 in the morning, 3 in the no, morning. It doesn't make it easier to sleep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did not sleep. So when, you know, when she cries, I try, I guess the the sort of more, I guess the training stuff that I sort of follow is letting them just cry it out, kind of like over flood their system. And then they associate the crate with like horror, you know, having a really bad time. So when she's crying and screaming, I usually get her out, take her outside. So she knows like crying means I go outside and then put her back in and then just kind of repeat and rinse until... She calms down. So. <laughs> Dang, you're nice. I just let him cry it's, it out. <laughs> well, that's the difference yeah, between men and women. I, yeah, think, there, yeah. yes. <laughs> I, I think I blocked out because I raised just I raised two puppies at a time just now, and now they're what nine months old. But my memory is is faltering, and I <laughs> I know, know there were bad nights, but I think I literally it was so bad that I just blacked it out. <laughs> oh, totally. For sure. I, don't I mean, it's like, it's mind numbing up to the point where I'm like, put her back in and then I'm just like laying on the couch next to the crate, like, just like listening to her cry, like, oh my God, please. Quiet. Quiet. Be is tired. A, is a, quiet is a big word that I use with the dogs. Yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. Mine is hush. So, mine is okay. hush. Mine is yeah. too. <laughs> but- mine is too. And I'll tell you why I went with hush. And I, I'm jumping in here, but uh, the reason I went with Hush, because I always thought it sounded pretty redneck to lean out the back door and say, shut up, you know, <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I don't have, have it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have anybody that even lives close to me, so nobody would hear me. But we used to have uh, we used to run an outfitting business there at our home and we would have campers in and stuff. And, and so the last thing I wanted to do. But I don't shut know up. that. Yeah, <laughs> shut up! You know, I know plenty of people that do that, though. Oh yeah, and yeah. it usually doesn't work. <laughs> no, it just it, it just. Well, there's me. There's memes about it not working. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I was talking to Brett Vaughn, and he he told me something real funny because, you know, I catch flack from houndsmen about my hounds sleeping inside at night, but they just sleep in cr- their crates in their room. But like. You know, I, the number one reason my dogs sleep inside is so they don't bark all night and keep me up. And I was talking to my to Brett Vaughn at his house, and he was like, "Houndsmen do two things with their hounds: they either keep them 
really far away from their house so you don't have to hear them at night. Or they keep them right underneath their bedroom window so you can open up your window and throw rocks at them when they won't shut up at night. And I was like, ah, that's such a good idea. So, Andrea, just get some rocks and, and everything will be yeah. fine. Right? Yeah, just stash you a know, pile of rocks. In, in all yeah, honesty. Yeah, that'll go over well. Yeah, yeah. My, my boyfriend is very softy. He loves the dogs and he's like very, very like... I have to explain and talk into him a lot about it's okay if she's outside in the kennel. It's okay if she's in the kennel all night. Like she's gonna be fine. Like I know she sounds like she's dying and she's very cute, but like she's, it's not gonna kill the best her. Way. Right. Yeah, this is good for her, and she yeah. has, and she's definitely already learned a ton and gotten way better. So you know, and like you said itself, earlier, believe it or not, it's gonna save your relationship to have that dog outside eventually. <laughs> <laughs> you know the crazy thing about houndsman the crazy thing about houndsman is you know we we raise these pups and uh we spend all this time training them and and putting all this effort into it and all this stuff we can't wait to hear them bark treat but yeah. mm-hmm. most houndsmen i know cannot stand to listen to a dog bark in a kennel i am that way you know, that talk about an oxymoron. I I raise this pup hoping that he will strike that track or and he will tree on that tree. And I'll let him when we started this podcast, you know, Dan Johnson called me, he's like, You got dogs treed on that thing or those dogs are barking for like a minute and a half in the intro. And I'm like, Do you realize that that's what houndsmen live for right there? The sweet, yeah. sweet yeah. sound. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was one of the things. So Dan, Dan and I had a conversation about that, and uh, that, was, that was kind of an interesting thing. But I always thought it was it's, strange. We put bark collars on them in the kennel um, so we don't have to listen to them bark so that we can take them out and make sure we hear them bark. Well, and then there's, like, this stuff on Facebook or wherever, whatever, um, where you're, like, yelling out the window for your dogs to shut up. Up and then you'll go on your phone and watch a video of dogs barking. Exactly. <laughs> yes. You know, so you know you're going, you're scrolling through Instagram, you're seeing dogs treat on lion and bo- and bobcat and bear and all this stuff. You're like, oh, thinking to yourself, like, this is so sweet. As soon as you hear then, your dog you know, outside, you're like, hey, hush. I'm like, quiet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I understand yeah. pretty quiet while hunting, so when they're barking, I can just yell hush out there out their window at them hush and they usually be they listen but when they see a rabbit they go insane and yeah. sight hounds make the craziest sounds like if they're in a box when they're in, when we're putting along the prairie and they see a jackrabbit get up it's like screaming it sounds like a wailing kid and just like screaming and some of them have like really high-pitched choppy barks they almost sound like coyotes in your it's yeah so but luckily all you have to do to make them go quiet is just open the door and then it's it's game on and yeah, then you got to yell at the people to stop cheering and stuff. So that's the we're way louder than the dogs are. So. Speaking of rabbits and uh, dogs being outside in the kennel barking, um, a, a rabbit has decided to make a nest, oh, about 10 feet from my dog's outdoor kennel. Oh, bad choice, rabbit. So um, that's been fun. I mean, it's uh, been some trash breaking that's been happening. Yeah, I don't, um, I, uh, <laughs> so I, I'm like, how dare you call a rabbit trash, first of all? <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> yeah, it's been an interesting week. I just saw that little bugger a couple days ago. Um, 
But yeah, like it's been a week for me uh, between rabbit and deer and who knows what else with my dogs. Um, hound life is is never boring. We'll put it that way. So Andrea, <laughs> I think I think you're gonna have an interesting, you know, 14 years. <laughs> yeah, I got my hands full for sure. But I mean, that's how I like to do things. I like to be busy and run around and and you go you go all in. If you're gonna do something. You 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 go full yes. full force, Andrea, on it. <laughs> True, <laughs> can't help it. I just am an That's the best way to be. So, you know, you, you tell us how you came upon this uh, DNR program and how, like, what? Okay, so what happened leading up to going to the DNR Learn to Hope program for Raccoon, and then can you get into like what your what your idea was about what you were getting into and kind of your, your experience and what you took in about like, quote unquote, this world. Hound hunting world specifically. Yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. So I'm pretty much a hunter because of the DNR, learn to hunt DNR programs in Wisconsin. They're awesome programs. They cost from zero to $10. They are so affordable. Um, which is awesome. Um, I started shooting compound bow maybe, I guess, two or, or two and a half years ago. Just kind of just woke up one day and really wanted to shoot a bow. And um, so I went to Cabela's and I bought a bow and, and started messing around with it and watching YouTube videos and talking to whoever would talk to me. And then that sort of led me to wanting to hunt deer with the bow and, and it was a total disaster. I had no idea what I was doing and I was super frustrated. And I thought, I honestly thought like maybe I'm just a cursed hunter. Like I'm not supposed to be doing this because all I did was scare deer and do stupid stuff and lose arrows. But then I found these learn to hunt programs through the DNR and I said, okay, well, I guess I'll just try. Maybe someone can help me hunt, you know, because I, I, I'm from the suburbs of Madison, Wisconsin, a place called Fitchburg. And, um, I mean, no one really hunts. There isn't really a hunting culture. Obviously, it's suburbs, you know. It and just, no one I in never family, right? No, I mean, my dad hunts, like, pheasants with his friends sometimes. Like, But it wasn't something, it wasn't, like, something that the family did. You know, it wasn't something like, oh, hey, let me pass this down. It just wasn't. You know, I think my dad grew up, like, really poor in like um like wisconsin rapids area and they like kind of subsistent hunted like they hunted for food and i think it was just like he kind of associated it with like survival and not fun so he didn't really see it as something to pass down and i get that for sure but we kind of talk about it now and, and it's interesting dynamic but anyways so i did it a dnr learn to hunt turkey it was just in april i was like okay i guess i'll sign up for this i don't know what i'm doing and um so all the learning hunt programs are set up over a course of two days. The first day is like an education portion where usually someone from the DNR comes and talks about the species um, and management practices, struggles, successes, stuff like that. And then um, like game regulations. And then usually you'll like we, for the Turkey one, you know, we cited in our shotgun and talked about different situations, different hunting situations. And then the second day, you're paired up with a, a mentor. So it's just one-on-one -on -one or whatever, 
you and another person, you go out and you go hunting. So I went turkey hunting with, you know, a guy that I've never met before. And I was really scared because, you know, it's just pretty intimidating. And, you know, you go in the woods with, you know, a guy you've never met before. It's like, what do you do? You have to go pee. Like, it's just weird. It's awkward, right? It's weird to hang out with someone. But it was really awesome. I mean, the people who do these programs and volunteer for these programs, they don't, it's not for profit, obviously. They're just doing it because they love it and they're passing it down. Like we were talking about earlier about, um, you know, being an advocate. These are people who love what they're doing and they want to see it happen. So they help other people. And I'm thankful for that. Anyways, long story short, that shot of turkey totally changed my life. I cooked it up. It, I was exhilarated, couldn't believe it. And then I just started signing up for more learn to hunt programs. And um, so I did learn to hunt pheasant and stuff like that. And I did a trapping program, which was really interesting. And that's kind of how I got interested in the Learn to Hunt Raccoon one, which was in October where I met Lauren. And honestly, I, it's so funny when I look back on it because I took it as kind of a challenge to myself because it felt really scary to go in the woods and it felt, I didn't know what it meant to chase animals with dogs and to me it felt like if I had a very Disney Disneyified idea of it um you know as being something maybe harsh but I wanted to sort of challenge that so I took the class and met a lot of really nice people and had a really great time so um yeah I it total flip and I fell in love with it so now you've got a walker dog yeah now i have a dog and i'm looking at her right now i mean that's, that's pretty amazing <laughs> life is so strange <laughs> that, but i mean that's amazing that's a great story yeah and in the it's a huge part of it is because of the people i've met and the people who have helped me and been kind to me and reached out to me you know erica and lauren like you know it's i was shocked that there's like I mean, there was more women than just those two who were mentoring for the hunting, learn to hunt raccoon. And, you know, they're just like cool and, you know, badass. It's like, oh, this is great. This is so fun. Like, yeah. I can totally fit in here, which is something I didn't see coming. What do, what do you, <laughs> Andrea, what do you think keeps most women your age from getting involved in hunting? Um, I think there's a huge learning curve. Um, when you have to start from the bottom up, so you have to really face a lot of failure Mm -hmm. and you have to face people who, I mean, I've met a lot of really great people, but I've also met people who really doubt my ability. And I think there can be some kind of machismo culture to it where people are like, no little girl, like the woods, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Leave this to the men. Exactly. And (laughs) 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 it's like okay that's great like thank you and I think I come from a place where it's like I feel like I've always been at doing stuff that have like whether it's skateboarding or working in construction like I've been in so many male-dominated spaces that I'm like whatever screw you like I'm still coming but it's a lot it's really hard to do that sometimes my experience and I as a conservation officer and meeting thousands of women over the years that are hunting and different things like that but also I find a different dynamic there. I also, in my training, 
I train f- with, uh, you know, women, female recruits and uh, as a drill instructor. And what I found was, you know, the male recruits are prideful and they're afraid to make a mistake, whereas the female recruits were always more uh, outgoing as far as asking questions. They weren't they weren't concerned about making a mistake. They would rather ask. We weren't there to save face. Yeah, exactly. You know, for, for men, and this goes for hunting too. I've seen it. You do get a lot of this false bravado. It's like, you've got something to prove. You know, I've got this, I'm a man. I should know how to do this. I see it with men that try to, they try to run a chainsaw. It's like, Dude, put the chainsaw down before you hurt yourself. You know, or oh even, goodness, in your yes. in your in your case, even a pair of wire strippers, Andrea. You know, mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I I do construction work, did construction work my whole whole life, and and watching some some men use a hammer, it's like, dude, come on. But well, it's like I should yeah. I should know how to do this because I'm a man. It's like no, let the yeah. let, let my daughter show you how to do this. She knows how to do it. <laughs> well, there was uh, Andrea sent me a picture of a a cart with all of the tools and stuff on it at work. She's an electrician, mm-hmm. and it says "hands off" and in, in parentheses that means you, Andrea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you know, like sure, we're okay to ask questions and stuff too. But is it that people expect us and and are okay with us failing? To yeah, I feel like the, they're not... the expectation is, like, lower, which can sometimes just make it easier to be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to level with you. I don't know what I'm doing, but I think maybe when you're a guy, you know, it's like, if you don't know how to do this, you're a loser, and you were very exactly. strong, you know? And yeah. so it's harder to be like, I need help. You know, you have to really, you know, it's, it's the expectation is so different. So it is easier to ask and, for help sometimes <laughs> the thing of it is though you just can't get all you can't get all shitty about it when you're using a paring knife to skin a coon and i look at you at you and say hey dumbass get a freaking pocket knife and keep it sharp <laughs> yeah, totally. you know don't don't get offended i mean if you're gonna we gotta and have I'm this not, both ways but I'm, but I'm also not the type of person that gets offended easily good either. good obviously because you're still yeah, here <laughs> right <laughs> i do I have to deal with you yeah. guys all the time <laughs> Staying humble is so important to learning. Yeah. You got to just let, I mean, you're going to suck. Coming from the suburbs, too, it's been hard um, because we didn't grow up with that hunting culture. We don't have those people that passed it down. And it's unfortunate that so much of hunting has become this inclusive club, this this stupid clique, you know? Yeah, people are, some people go really get really wild about it and don't want other people to join. And I get they probably worked their whole life or their families worked their whole life to have what they have, but you know, <laughs> someone else has it. It's not going to be around anymore. <laughs> Seth, you were trying to jump in there and you're having some technical issues, but don't worry. Fox news has them every day. I watch it. So <laughs> they can't get Skype down either. Yeah. Can everyone hear me? Yeah. All right. So yeah, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. It's so weird. I'm over here being very quiet when they're talking about guys being dumb bravado yeah. in the woods. <laughs> right now like, it's good. Yeah, you know, like big game hunting, like uh, you know, serious hunting with your dad, right? Me? Yeah. Oh, a little bit, and not as much. I, I actually kind of carve my teeth carved seriously. Teeth. Big game hunting, like on my own. 
And so um, with with some of my friends, and uh, it got pretty competitive in a good, friendly way. But when I was a lot younger, when I was like late teens, early 20s, that stuff got out of control. You know, I remember we were Barbary sheep hunting once, and you hunt them in these incredibly rugged cliffs. And uh, my brother is a beast at spotting them. So, like, you sit down in the, the flats below and sit with binoculars on tripods and scan up into the cliffs for them. And we spotted this group that was up on this crazy cliff. I mean, you should not have been attempting it without ropes. And I was like, no, let's go for it. And and so we go for it. We get up there. Well, we walk all the way up there. It takes us quite a while. And then we're like, oh, uh, we can't climb this cliff. We, you know. And then my brother, as we were heading up, my brother's like, you're not going to be able to climb that cliff. And we're like, no, no, we can do it. And then so we get up there. We can't climb the cliff. And then my brother calls me on my phone. And he's like, hey. Uh, I spotted Barbary all the way across this canyon on the other side, and he's like, um, "They're uh, they're they're up on this ledge. You can maybe get to them, but you guys should come back, get some water, get some snacks, and then attempt to go for them. They're not going anywhere." And I looked at my buddy, and I was like, "We can handle it. We're super manly." <laughs> and, and, so I, like, and, and so we we like go down across this canyon. Uh, we walk up the other side and I remember we got to the bottom of the canyon and we looked up at the wall that we had to go up and I was like oh man and then my buddy's like no we can handle it and I was like alright let's do it so right. we climb this wall I take, long story short we climb the cliff I take an incredibly long range shot on the barber sheep I hit it I drop it we go up I'm taking a grip and grin with this thing because I really wanted to like memorialize this hunt I'm so dehydrated that it just looks like jerky stretched across my face <laughs> <laughs> So, my, my mom. Dad. I think I think you already look like jerky to begin with. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I look like Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Look, <laughs> like so my mom had a rule. She raised five boys. There were six kids in our family. Five boys, and her rule was one boy half a brain, two boys no brain. <laughs> so oh, you like get, the big huh. <laughs> oh, I understand. Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely true. Yep. Y'all get a little bit of mob mentality. It's all over. <laughs> yep. One boy, you know, you get you get one boy alone, and you know he's he he'll do he'll do crazy stuff. But you get two of them alone, and all common sense and reasoning is right out the window. And it's like <laughs> yeah. you know daring each other, and just like you were talking about, Seth. I should have known better too. And it's funny, yep. my brother. He was born fifty years old. You know what I mean? Like, he's always been really wise and acts, like, very cool and collected. And he's like, I think that's a bad idea. You guys should come back and get water. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about. Does he talk like that Seth all the time? does not get dehydrated. Yeah, yeah that's, my, um, that's my non-radio voice. So, that, oh, know, I just nice. classed up for radio a little bit. <laughs> so, <clears throat> You know, you've got your brother and friends and stuff that you do hunting with. And it's like for me, it's been hard. Like I wish that some people like even like acquaintances, friends would have taken me under their wing like a little bit more not. I mean, sure. Like with raccoon hunting a little bit. I had great mentors. Like it's it's been great. But like with other types of hunting as well. So I think it's just hard for someone (laughs) that's getting going um yeah yeah i I think it's more important i get very frustrated i think it's more important for houndsmen than any other type of hunting to have 
have a, a the other network. hunting's gonna survive. <clears throat> That's gonna be there. There's so much that goes into to this lifestyle of having hounds. Everything from you know why isn't my dog eating to um, you know why isn't he hunting? Health issues, nutrition issues, uh, totally training fun. issues. It's all in, it's all in there. You know, whereas other other forms of hunting, you can. I you can be kind of self-taught on that. I know a lot of very successful self-taught, you know, archery hunters and and uh, small game hunters that just kind of learned it on their own and and uh, not not trying to discredit any other hunting group. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's just that when we're talking about houndsmen, there's a lot that goes into there's this besides your and you're you're taking responsibility for a living animal, you know, a living creature. So you have an obligation to do things right the greatest mm-hmm. thing right. i ever learned yeah, from mentor. yeah i mean i couldn't have done it without him he was just amazing to helping me and i was actually just hanging out with him all weekend and and we had some time and our long commute to talk about how i was just like man thank you so much because you really changed my my entire outlook on hound hunting and and how i mean the most important lessons i learned was you need to learn when to stop you know, it's so easy to push a sighthound to limits where there can be in big trouble. And mm-hmm. I just didn't know that. And I remember we were hunting together one time and we ran a rock hard rabbit. We caught him and I'm literally jumping up and down for joy. And I, I'm like, you know, running around excited. And he he goes, oh, we're done now. And I was like, what do you mean we're done? Like, let's go catch another one. You know, let's give him a time to break and let's catch another one. And he's like, no, like they're done. And I was just like, okay. And, and that was just unbelievably good lesson for me because now it's funny. We, uh, even when I'm running alone, we'll run a really hard rabbit. The dogs are exhausted and I leash them up and we go home. And like, these are just some of the little lessons that could save you divid- pay dividends in the future because man, I could have easily killed a dog without even thinking about it or without even knowing. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. they'll run until they die, quite literally. So, yeah. Because, yeah, because of that drive. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got a dog that's fat and out of shape, you can't go and expect it to be able to, you know, go run in, in dry, hot lion country for three days straight. Mm-hmm. Something right. like that. Race in August. So, yeah, for, that's you know, true. Na- National Plothound Association for years had plot days in August. Uh, it was the first weekend of August. And I remember one year at Tell City, uh, it was as hot as I can ever remember it. And we went out to hunt that night. Um, and I'm sure that, that my male dog Boone had a slight, slight heat stroke in that cornfield. And at, if you get on ag sites, you can actually see what the, the internal temperatures of cornfields are in that area um you know what the what the ambient temperature is and it was still 90 degrees in the center of that cornfield at oh my goodness 10 o'clock at night here i am and so i just i should have just um it wasn't bad but it affected him forever but i felt the need to hunt more than than using common sense here to think it's too dang hot i just i shouldn't be Mm -hmm. doing this oh man 90 you can get it yeah it was still 90 degrees at 10 o'clock 10 30 or 11 o'clock at night wow it's I remember. It, it's pretty cool it has like a thermal thermal imaging and farmers use it so they can track germination and and stuff in their mm-hmm. crops and uh yep so yeah i looked at it and it was that was crazy i thought i cannot believe i, remember, I just did that uh, to my dog 
I remember Erica telling me like she tries to not run her dogs like you know if it's more than 71 degrees at night in the summer and that's you know if I'm going to do one little drop all right but you know I'm not going to go for a four or five hour coon hunt when it's still 75 80 degrees at night Hmm. 60 or less for me that's something my my mentor taught me 60 or less wow I, I am mean, learning the, something right now. I didn't well, know that. <laughs> if you remember, if you remember the podcast that uh, Doctor Reynolds, Arlie Reynolds, was on, he talked about a dog's ability to cool itself, and it talked about the the membrane in the back of the throat, and that gets coated with saliva when a dog gets heated up, and they start getting dehydrated. The saliva gets thicker, and it builds up a coating on the back of their their esophagus right there. So. You know, the, he talked about the value of carrying a squirt bottle and just squirting mm-hmm. it into their mouth just to scrub that off a little bit so that that, that can actually kick back in and start cooling mm-hmm. them. Right. Yeah. Taking a break, making sure you're hunting by cricks. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I was going to say, do you guys I, ever hunt by water? In the summertime. I don't ever. Yeah, yeah. you don't ever. <laughs> I believe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we've, got old, we've got older houndsmen here that, that – they won't hunt unless they can they can hunt on the big creek, you know, Lawfrey Creek or when it when it starts drying out they just they just stop. They realize it's the juice is not worth the squeeze at that at that point. And <laughs> I think I think a lot of competition hunting, you don't get to pick and choose the weather. Uh and yeah, guys are uh, forced to hunt in some adverse conditions just like I did at, at plot days. But realistically oh, totally. But you're still taking that chance. You're, yeah. You decided to go hunt. You could I always did. either withdraw or That's just right. not go. And I should have withdrawn. I should have known that that was not worth it. You know, mm-hmm. sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, sacrifice a you know a, a pretty nice male dog, a hound at that point, just for because I felt the need that I needed to hunt. And that's the thing. Like that's what's got me in trouble more than anything else. My own excitement uh-huh. and and learning how to temper that for your hounds has been amazingly um, gifted uh, lesson that I've been fortunate enough to have been handed to very early on for me. So, and the sight hounds push themselves to such extreme limits that if it's hotter than about 60 degrees, they can really get themselves into trouble fast. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm really jealous of coon hunters and, and scent guys that can be out there hunting in warmer weather. But at the same time, I mean, I just got what I got. And it's funny, you guys are talking about hunting near, hunting near water. Yeah, I mean, jackrabbits can go their entire life without drinking a drop of standing water. So what? where we hunt, it's bone dry. <laughs> There's nothing for a long way. There's, so we got to be real smart. There's things that you can do to mitigate that, though. You know, I'm not sitting here saying, you know, I, I wouldn't. I would take the chance if if it's above 70 degrees or 80 degrees. Oh, and yeah. I'm, I'm hunting for if I'm hunting for the world championship or. I mean, Autumn Oaks is right here in Indiana, and I've seen it very hot. Oh, it's, it was for, hot, yeah. Competing for National Grand Night. But there are things you can do to mitigate the risks, and that's what you've got to learn. You know, carry that squirt bottle, that, and I carry a Gatorade bottle. It's a quart bottle, and it's uh, the same one. Basketball players or athletes use it, and they squeeze it and squirt water in their mouth. I use that at the tree. You know, walk up there, yeah. dog gets done treeing, or while he's still treeing, and he knows as soon as I get there to turn around and get a drink. I'll leash him up, give him a drink, tie him up. He's fine. 
And, and and so many hunters, competition hunters, they just wear their competition vest. You know, they've got their squalor, their Garmin, a leash, you know, a pencil, whatever. You can still wear like a little camelback backpack. Camel, my all my dogs know how to drink out of a camelback. Right. Like they know how to suck the water out of there or no, what? No, I just, <laughs> no, you just, it's all, you know, once you get siphoned, it's gravity fed and it's, it's under, right. so you just. You know, you just pinch the top, the the mouthpiece on it, and it starts running out of there. And uh, if you put some pressure on it, it'll squirt out like a like a squirt, like a hose. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Right. Every every one of them knows. Idea. Yep. Oh, I want to get one of those. I hate carrying around a water bottle. Camelbacks. Yeah, I are think awesome. it, yeah, important. Like during bear season, I've seen you know lots of hunters that don't don't give their dogs enough water or they let their dogs drink too much water and then they go out again. You know, if their dog right. just fills their belly up with water, then you get another problem too. Yeah, you think they would puke. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and if, kill a sighthound doing that. That's yeah. right. Or a horse or anything else. Yeah. You know, you never, yeah. you never bring a horse in and water them while they're hot. You know, you're, just, you're just putting enough water in there to, to let that air of passing over those membranes cool that brain box down that's telling the rest of their body to cool down. Yeah. Get get water on their feet, get water on their ears is another thing you can yep. do. Yep. Yep. I do yep. feet, briskets, ears, and a little bit on their back and their haunches. So pretty much just soak them. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and when you're wearing it, when you're using a camel back, I mean, you're carrying two quarts of water on your back and you actually can, you know, Put quite a bit of water on a dog without without draining the whole thing. You can do that several mm-hmm. times yeah. in a in a two hour cast. It'll last you through a two hour cast easy. Oh. Yep. Yeah, and then you're gonna get the old guys that are hunting that are like, "Oh, you're cheating!" Like, right, your dog murder. water is cheating. Like, oh no! <laughs> you know, yeah. I had a, like, "Oh, my dog's not getting that. You got the advantage." Seth, yeah, yeah. what are you saying? My grandpa would just be like, oh, dogs are tough. They don't need to drink that much. And like our my grandpa's pointers would hunt half the day without drinking a lot of water. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, my I, dogs, I'm like rolling up to them and I'm like, here you go, guys. Like, here's I some think- water for your briskets. Like <laughs> <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Capri Sun. <laughs> but I think that's like the mentality that a lot of people have, like that they there's so much we've learned about a dog's biology and, and there's so much like us, we need to recover. We need the electrolytes. We need to not dehydrate, overheat, all that stuff. It's the same thing. You know, they are incredibly tough animals and they can adapt to so much and they're just resilient beings. But at the same time, like we need to take care of them if we want that dog to be healthy and not blow its kidneys and all this other stuff and, mm. and be a good dog and be a good hunter for the rest of its life and, you know, and a long, good life. People that don't, um, you know, it's funny, coming from the sighthound community to the sinhound community, the guys that in the sighthound world, nobody in the world would take not hydrating a dog for like very seriously for us because luckily anybody that sees the endeavor of catching a hare in the desert when those dogs roll up and their mouths look like they're like rabid because there's so much like froth all over their face from running for like four and a half minutes through the desert. Like people are like, get this dog some water. But with a scent dog, you don't, you could not, you could easily forget about that, I suppose, because you don't yeah. see all the work they're putting in for all that time until you just show well, up to 
a tree if it's at night or well, whatever. You know? Yeah, but then they're at the tree and there's, you know, people like, oh, yeah, look at this slobber mouth. And then uh-huh. you need to realize <laughs> what that means. Maybe that dog's been treated for 45 minutes and you weren't able to get there an hour. Like, that's hard work to tree. Well, the, the, it's not, I don't think it's anything that's that's been deliberate or, no, you know, it's, it's not that. It's just that, you know, horse racing it was at one place a hundred years ago. And we, it's someplace completely different in nutrition and hydration and everything. Same thing goes for dogs. You know, what we thought about dogs or what my grandpa used to grind up cornmeal for dog bread, you know, make dog bread. And, and that's what the dogs ate. They ate ground corn and uh, that's just part of it. And the thing, the, the way I look at it is I expect extreme performance out of my hound. So I need to do everything I can to make sure that he can succeed at that. Now, if if we're in a, if I was hunting like Dale Lee in the Southwest and four days away from camp and and we were chasing a lion and and I was drinking water out of a hoof track, the dog's going to drink water out of a hoof track too. I just you know it's just the way it goes. He's not going to get my last drop of water, and it's just it's just part of it. But if we can. And you, there's no reason for, uh, you know, being ignorant about it. You're expecting a lot out of that dog, and you owe him a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Nice. We killed yeah. that. Risk we killed production. that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love to get really into the physiology and biology because I think that's what make. I mean, that's kind of what attracted me to this podcast to begin with, the extreme performance aspect because, I mean – can't get more extreme than running 50 miles an hour, in my opinion. You know, so I want to Well, of course it's your opinion. Now, what about... <laughs> but I agree. You get, I'll tell you what's... How would you feel about extreme performance when you're crawling up underneath a, a patch of laurel in the Appalachian Mountains, five feet away from a black bear with six plot hounds bait around it? Or in a, yeah, no, that's totally... Yeah. Or in a... Or in a... Pipe, drain pipe that goes under a road four foot drain pipe you got to go in there with that bear and get the get that hound out of there that's pretty yeah, extreme that's amazing <laughs> yeah i'm not discounting any of it I, i'm just speaking because i i want to uh any like dry land mountain lion you know when they're trailing lions for days like drinking out of hoof tracks and stuff that's amazing you know I, yeah i know what you mean but yeah, yeah i just I it's all a matter it's all a matter of perspective you know I, it's it's like hunting spots Everybody thinks I live in the roughest place to catch game. You know, <laughs> I hunt the best dog. So I hunt in the roughest place. I, you know, it's just it's just what we get used to, and that's it's uh, it's natural. It's natural We've to be competitive. Of that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there, there's so much that I still need to learn, and then actually follow through and do. Like just throwing that out there to everybody. Like I am not, you know, the person that's got it all down either and that's that's doing everything like i need to to check myself every really. and every, everybody does that's right it never stops it will never ever ever stop you know i've, I've been hunting for th- hounds for 38 years i think now and you know you have somebody like arlie reynolds on the podcast and you start talking about nutrition it's like wow this is yeah. good stuff or you you pick up an article or uh, that that it's really cool to see how perceptive 
even younger houndsmen are to things, you know, and that didn't sound right. But I mean, um, I pick up a lot of things from younger houndsmen because I get set in my ways and think mm-hmm. that there's one way to do something. And then I see a younger houndsman doing something. It's like, Hey, that's pretty cool. That might work. You know, there's a guy, are you familiar with Thomas Kuhn? Seth, have you ever no. heard that name? Have you ever heard of it, Seth? So Thomas yeah. Kuhn was a, uh, he was a philosopher, but he's also a theologian, uh, science. He was a scientist and he taught at U- university of Cincinnati and he wrote a book called, uh, uh, something about scientific theories, but he came up with the the term paradigm paralysis, where a person he 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 showed how scientists can can have clear proof in front of them that there's a different way to do something, but they won't believe it because they're already stuck. In, they've they've ran their own theories so many times and came up with the wrong answer. They're already thinking that this should be the answer, so my theory should be right. There's no well, reason. Well, it's kind wh- of like so, complac- yeah. complacency is yeah. the first step to failure. Right. Yep, yep, exactly. But that's what Thomas Kuhn showed was just because you think it should turn out that way, you can't do, do what, it, you know, your theory isn't right. If it's not turning out, you need to change. You need to change what you're doing. Well, yeah, I just I've read I just, about that. Yeah. Go ahead, Andrea. <laughs> Pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Andrea, let's uh let's you have some questions about some different things and I we kind of need to move on to that, I think, about yeah, being I, a new houndsman. You know, what what were your initial questions getting into this because I know like over the course of our friendship and, you know, talking uh, you know, outside of this podcast, We've, we've answered a lot of your questions, but I think a lot of the people that are listening um, might be new, too. And they would have the same questions that you did. So I don't know if you can remember any of, yeah. you know, kind of, yeah, what we kind of covered and what you've learned. Yeah, and I have too. some new questions, too. Great. Of course, I knew I would. Um, so I had a lot of questions about... Um, like outdoor kennel housing and stuff like that, because it's really, um, you know, I don't know anything about it. I don't know what, I didn't really understand what's right or what's wrong. So like how to keep them warm and, and, and what's, what really like what's okay and what's not okay. Like, I think mentorship is really important with questions like that, because obviously you can, you can Google something and find 10,000 different answers to the same question. And there really is no clear thing to what's right and what's wrong especially when it comes to hunting and dog training mm-hmm. stuff so i ended up i have an outdoor kennel and um like a dog house dog glue type thing and i was kind of curious before about like what to insulate it with and i went with like blankets and stuff instead of straw just because I couldn't quite understand (laughs) the straw thing and blankets just seemed easier um so I had questions I guess just about keeping dogs outside and and now that my puppy's getting a little bit older I I had originally planned to keep her outside when I went went to work but it had was raining for five days straight (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I just could not leave a little puppy outside in the rain (laughs) for eight hours so I ended up keeping her kenneled in here and having someone stop by and let her out. But I mean, I don't know. To answer when your you question, first start... go ahead. Ask your question. I'm sorry. Oh, I guess like, how do you, 
is having a dog crying outside just an inevitable or is there a way that you can get them to be a little bit more okay with it, happy in there, or is it just a time thing? Um, and then also I'm curious now about like, what can you do right when they're super little? I mean, obviously we're working on recall already and different things like that, but I heard from Erica, a thing that I'm going to try this weekend where you take a hot dog and you tie a string to it. Okay. And you pull it through your yard and then you like hide it under some leaves Uh or something. And then you put your puppy at the beginning of the track and then they go find the hot dog. Like that's a revelation. That's a great idea. And I'm really excited to try that. And I'm curious if there's any other stuff I can do to get her to start using her nose. Cause I take her out with my other dog. Let's answer um, one question at I, a time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, right. Sorry. <laughs> so for me, the kennel thing, the outside kennel thing, like once they were good in their crate, they were pretty good outside. And if they did cry, let them cry it out. But it's okay. also keeping them, tired exercise both mentally and physically so like if you can get them a frozen kong with peanut butter in it or a frozen beef bone um that'll Mm -hmm. keep them busy and then they'll realize like oh it's okay to be handy in here like i get cool stuff yeah i'm a big believer in the kong and and even yeah but beef beef bones will last a lot longer right (laughs) and you don't have to worry about a destroyed kong and Right. And block blockages, <laughs> yeah. intestinal blockages. I know they say those things are tough, but you know, dogs will figure out how to to damage something. So, so let's just start with the kennel part. Um, for me, you asked about dog houses. Okay, so dogs are very vibrant and very uh, they they especially in today's today's culture everybody thinks you see the meme every year if you're cold he's cold well my dog can go out and lay on the snow for hours you know my dog lays in the house when the heat's on and pants i have to let him out um right so the thing of it is insulated dog houses are i i am a firm believer in them they're they're warm in the winter they're cool in the summertime uh, mm-hmm. One of the big mistakes that people make is they oversize the doghouse. Okay, a dog mm-hmm. has to heat. He's gonna he's gonna heat that space in there with his own body heat. And the more space that he's got to try to heat, the more energy it's gonna take. So smaller is actually better. A little bit tighter. I mean, you take um, a, a, a standard twenty four inch by twenty four inch by twenty four inch doghouse that's insulated is plenty of space for even the largest hounds most of the time. Mongo's as tall and as big as any hound that I've got, and that's the size he's in. Um, keep really? Good, yep. You keep, they curl up in a little ball. Yeah, they curl up. Yeah, I guess up, they do curl up really small, don't they? Yeah. yeah. We, think, we think, you know, we don't sleep like that. We sleep stretched out. You know, we're, we're people. We're humans. But dogs... Well, my right. dog street sleep stretched out when they have the chance on the bed, though. Yeah, because, they're, <laughs> yes, because that's they... True. Yeah, that's true. But but when they're, <laughs> when they're in their houses, they don't think a thing about being curled up in a ball. Right. It's just well, I mean, totally yeah, natural. In the, in the wild, mm-hmm. they sleep in a den. You know, yes. in a den, think about what a den is. A small little right. tiny area with a tiny hole at one end. Yeah. All and, my dog right. houses just mimic dens like that. And they those dogs... They vie for the position of the tightest little doghouse yep. I have. Yep. And so, I, like I learned it. my lesson long ago in that avenue, Chris. 
Yeah, Disney will. You know, Disney movies show the the fox or the wolf or the walking into this big elaborate cave like this is his <laughs> his his home. You know, and that's not that's not real life. I mean, they squeeze in tight places to conserve that energy. It's security and it's it's for energy savings. So don't and I think don't go get trapped by thinking you got to have that super extra large doghouse for that little bitty puppy. And okay, I think good. a good thing to point out, too, is, like, once it does get cold, you know, like, there could be a wind chill, negative 15, whatever, you can't necessarily take a dog that's been living inside that whole time, used to, you know, 65, 70 degree temperatures, and throw it outside, and it will wow. also be okay in negative 20. So really it takes time <laughs> for that dog to acclimate. So you have to get your dog used to being outside, and it... it gets those changes in temperature day by day too. Same way with summer. Yep. Same way. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So exactly. one thing I would say about the blanket deal. Okay. I want you to think about this. What happens when a dog lays in a dog house and for, for a few hours, what's he doing in there? He's, bre- he's breathing, uh, right? Sure. Yeah. And so as he exhales, he's exhaling moisture into that confined space. All right. So if he's laying on a blanket, especially like a cotton blanket or something like that, and it's cold out, then you're actually robbing that dog of heat. It has no insulating value at that oh, point. You know, cotton nice. cotton kills. Cotton so, kills, that's right. I know that. Yep. So <laughs> you I mean, in, in the summer, that's probably, I mean, you can have a little just pad in, in, in the kennel. Like little. Mm-hmm. Most of the time yeah. in the summertime, you can just put a raised raised. If you've got shade, you can just put a raised platform, and they'll sleep on the. They'll get up on that platform if it's got a a nice pad on it. But blankets and dog yeah. blankets and dog houses are a train wreck. They're parasite traps. Um, they're they're stinky. They're not sanitary, and I mean, there's just a whole lot of problems with them. So in the summertime, run a mixture of of pine and cedar shavings in there. It's good for flea control, and bugs don't like it. Um, it's Where easy do to I clean buy up. That? Uh, that pine and from? cedar you can get at like problem. Fleet Farm. Yep. Yep. Really? But but, but yeah. Oh yeah, because it's what you would oh. use for guinea pigs. You can get it at a pet store okay. too. But is it the yeah. same stuff that you put in a hamster cage? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, they'll, they'll sell I thought it. it was something else, and I couldn't find it. Oh, it's they'll... in huge. Cool. It's in huge big bags, like back by like the chicken feed and all that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And I feel cool. bad Good. right now. I feel bad. <laughs> I was the one advocating for the blankets in the last time, and I just do not have any of the problems you guys have. First of all, it does not get negative twenty here, and we don't have sure. ticks or fleas up here in the desert, yeah. so I don't have to worry about okay. parasites. Right. And so like. Wow, I'm learning a lot. I'm 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 like you, Andrea. I'm just silent and listening. <laughs> well, then when it comes to winter where we're using straw or hay, where are we getting that? Seriously. Are you asking? Yeah. Yeah. Where does it come from? Oh, where does the straw come from? <laughs> yeah. Like, do like, I get if, like a where do we buy this? From where do we buy this stuff? So if you if you you guys live in Wisconsin, there's freaking dairy farms on every corner up there there used to be. So just just look at a dairy farm, and they've got they've got what you need. Just roll okay, in there. So farmer, a big, farmer will sell it, it to you. The round bale, because I have bought a round bale from a farmer, like five minutes away from my house, to like put behind an archery target. So it's it's basically that that's the stuff, right? Well, that's hay. Okay, and hay's fine. Hay. I mean, hay is fine. The the deal with straw is it's hollow. 
So it it actually has more insulating value than hay. I've used both, but uh, but you have to make sure that you're changing it out frequently because yes. it disintegrates okay. and gets packed down. That's exactly right. Sure. It will okay. disintegrate Good. quickly. But you can find so as you're driving around and you see, you'll you'll start scouting it out. You'll start seeing, you know, like wheat fields, and then you'll see a farmer cut the wheat and then you have straw and then that's where you're mm-hmm. going to get that's where you're going to get your straw because for one dog a bale of straw will last you most of the winter well maybe not a wisconsin winter you might need two okay yeah cool. so but we're talking like a <laughs> we're, we're talking like a flake of straw in a in that size dog house and they're going to push that thing around and nest, snuggle down in it and they're going to be mm-hmm. good to go so cool good yep. okay Andrea, you're talking about that. using bales of hay as archery back, like the back for your bow targets. That's like a classic mainstay around here where I grew up. And yeah. we used to put 3D targets right by our, our hay bales. And one time, because I live on a, I grew up on a big 17-acre plot. And one time, this this like couple pulled off the road, drove all the way down our driveway, and knocked on our door and wanted to go pet our animals that were eating at the <laughs> hay. <laughs> and my dad, in full uh, archery gear, was like... Yeah, and my dad was in full archery gear. We were all going to go out and shoot. And my dad was like, they're not real. And she's like, I know they're real. I saw a deer back there. And my dad was like, they're she wanted, made of She wanted foam. to pet, pet, like, what? Like, go out and pet them. That was Andrea pet. two years ago. Yeah, that was me. That was my family. And so, like, my dad was like, come on. And, like, we took them back there, and they, like, were upset that they were foam deer and i was like oh that's so funny yeah i just thought that was great I, that's i always use bales of hay for the backs of my archery targets to this day Those people so, are crazy that's amazing the audacity to just like be like they're not i saw them i know oh, a deer yeah, and yeah. be like oh like let's this this must be a place we can pet animals like a private place <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah don't touch oh, deer dude. Yeah. that's so interesting about the the um like parasite problem blankets. I never thought of that, but yeah, because I mean, we're so lucky up here, Riley. We don't have ticks or flea. I never treat my dogs. I had never found a tick or a flea oh, on them. Uh, ever. Oh, so what is and that so, like? The amount of money you, well, we spend gonna, a year on preventatives. Holy moly! I'm gonna give you another. Yeah. I'm gonna give you another gem here. So, have you ever heard of diatomaceous earth? Yes. Seth, you have. Oh. Have, have you heard of it, Andrea or Lauren? Yes. Can you say it again? Diatomaceous? Diatomaceous earth. So it is actually a ground up coral and um, it is a parasite preventive. They feed it to poultry as a, uh, to get rid of parasites and chickens, but you can also sprinkle it in your dog houses because the fleas will not be able to survive in it. So that's how I offset parasite stuff inside the doghouse. It's just, it comes in like a uh, uh, a, a five. A little shaker. Yeah. Shake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just shake some in there, like, you know, shaking powder in there. And you can actually put it, you can put it on their dog food. Okay. There's another little tip. Mm -hmm. You can put it, you can put just, yep. You can put, put a teaspoon on dog food once a week and it'll really cut down on your parasites. In your oh internal God, parasites. Really? And would you use that in, like, instead of a normal dewormer, or is no, it just like a no. maintenance thing? No, it's just it's okay, just a, just it's like just an extra. It's like when Doctor Halada cool. talked about tick tick borne diseases. You know, go ahead and use your mm-hmm. front line, but also, you know, have some topical to put on 
put on your dog. You know, go ahead and spray it down with some off or rub a rag, spray some off on a rag to keep the ticks off of it. That's okay. You know, it's all, okay. it's all yeah. good. Yeah, I, I have my dogs on something called Vectra 3D, which is a topical, and it helps, like, especially during bear seasons, and there's so many flies and mosquitoes, and it also repels those, so not just, like, ticks and fleas. Um, but I also, you know, will spray them down if it's it's a bad day. I'll spray them down with, like, a, like fly spray or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, yep. Just don't spray it in their face or in their, you know, no, right in the face. Right. So. right, just like you wouldn't to yourself, right? Sure, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Right. What else you got, Andrea? You guys on the Let's see. Okay, so I guess the other other starting stuff besides besides the cool hot dog trick and the normal yard work. I mean, is I'm so I guess a question I was thinking about today actually was so I have my Britney Spaniel Hank. He's incredibly energetic, so I walk him. I take him out in the woods for an hour, I would say five to seven days a week. And I've been bringing my eight-week-old puppy lately, and she's been kind of getting the hang of it. And, and today she walked for like the whole hour, running around, having a great time. But then I kind of got worried, do you think an hour of physical activity for a little dog, do you think that could be bad for her? Or they, is it good for her? They'll tell you. When you turn you around, think, okay. yeah, when you turn around and they're laying back there and they're whining and not wanting to keep up. With their eight weeks yeah. old, you know, throw them in your game bag and let them ride for a little bit or, you know, or, mm-hmm. or pick them up or whatever you, you do. But they'll tell you whether some puppies, you can't wear them out, and other puppies, they're just kind of sissies, you know, starting out. One, you know, and, and, and I think this kind of plays into, to, too, with, like, feeding. Like, um, there's that podcast um, that I sent you about, like, large breed puppy food. And yeah, how important which, which that is. So interesting to me. And that is what I'm feeding her. I didn't even know that you were supposed to feed puppy food for a year. I never, ever thought. Yeah, so, or even, yeah, or even longer. Really? Yeah. So it's, it's wow. how the dog is growing. And for me, I didn't want to run my dogs too hard or anything because you can damage, like, growth plates. Like, not necessarily, like, you're not going to be running your, you know, nine-week-old puppy like crazy. But I still wanted to, like, restrict my puppies, you know, during a certain point in their development to not be going so hard for so long, you know, because I'm on this huge property, like they could go forever, but you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just also something I watched out for because I mean, there's, there's information out there on, on, you know, limiting exercise to thing, for puppies. The thing to remember is they're not made out of glass. Yeah, they are living beings, and you need to pay attention. But they're not made out of glass; they're not that fragile. You know, um, you're going to know if you pay attention whether or not your puppy, if he's out running and playing and romping and stuff, and he can do that for an hour. Let him do it for an hour. Um, okay. If if you take him for a walk and and he's he's not wanting to come up, and you can tell when a dog's pouting. He might just be pouting, but you don't want to take him for an hour again until he's until he's he's or she in your case she's ready to go for for that. But they'll let you know, and and uh, you know, and then when you bring them in from that walk, that's a good time to put them in their kennel with mm-hmm. with that kong or that beef bone, and that can be their safe haven. That is their place of refuge where they can be by themselves. Because believe it or not. They they do enjoy that. I was a canine handler for several years, and by the end of the day, my dog loved going in her kennel and getting away from me. She loved it. Well, 
<laughs> that yeah. that was my goal back what a, a couple days ago is I was exercising my dogs, taking them around the property, saying, okay, they'll get, you know, pooped out. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Then I can go work. They'll be out in the kennel the whole day. They'll be fine. Well, uh, that changed pretty quickly. <laughs> um, and uh, Cedar decided to take a hot deer track. And then the other ones piled in. And You're I actually going to talk about this on the air. Oh, yeah, because it happens to everybody. <laughs> I've never had it. It's never happened to me. Well, oh, <laughs> yeah. come on. <laughs> you know, and, and I kind of, I, I got scolded, honestly, by my parents for, quote, unquote, letting this happen. Um, and I, I called Chris later, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm just looking for some validation that, like, it's not okay for your dogs to run away, but, like, it was kind of like a, like a bleep happens kind of week. So they left, they weren't responding to their shot collars. I knew it was a deer track. Cedar just, she's one of those dogs, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, you know, I'm looking for, I'm calling for my go back. You know, I'm going through this forest that doesn't have any ATV trails going over logs and stuff, trying to find these dogs, and I can't hear them. Eventually, one puppy comes back, um, and then another puppy comes back because I'm checking back to the house. They're waiting on the porch, but Piper's still gone. Long story short, two hours later, about a mile away, I find her treed after traversing this huge section of land that I live on. It's not just the 80 acres. You know, bordered by four roads is around 600 acres. Um, and I pretty much covered it all. Um, <laughs> I chased or scared so many deer out of the woods around here. So I'm going down the farmer's fields, you know, speed five on the ATV, like, you know, my my jowls just flapping in the wind going so fast. Um, this deer <laughs> comes piling out of the woods and it's it was everything was so fast but it felt like it was slow motion so you know like when a horse is running you see all the muscles moving so i'm going straight this deer is coming perpendicular to me and i narrowly miss this deer and it just felt like everything was in such slow motion i'm like looking at it like oh my oh god, my god. <laughs> And it must have been a buck. It was a big deer. Um, That's incredible. And it was just like it was just like a crazy time, and just everybody out there, you know, your dog, your coonhound might run away. Um, and like Chris said, they're they're supposed to run away. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> But now I realize, like, if we're going to go, like, traverse the property, you know, in the morning when deer might have been out, whatever, like, I can't just rely on their shot collars. I'm going to have their GPS collars on, too. So it's just something I learned. Here's the rule. Nice and tight. Here's the rule at my house. Mm -hmm. And I told all my kids this. If you're going to be stupid, you got to be tough. So (laughs) if you're not going to put the collars on them, you got to toughen up and go get them. That's just all there is to it. You know, and I've learned that lesson the hard way. I thought I was slick. You know, I pull in there the way my setup is. I pull up, come in from hunting. And, I mean, it, every time you you drop the tailgate, open the door, the dog jumps and goes from the truck right to the kennel, from the truck right to the kennel. And except for that day that they don't. And you already took, yeah. the, you already took the GPS collar off of them at the tailgate, and they're supposed to be going. But, no, they decide, nah, I'm not going to do that today. And, boom, there they go. Well, mm-hmm. 
It doesn't matter if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. you got to work the next day. You were dumb enough to set yourself up like that, so now you got to be tough enough to go get them. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I, I was dumb enough on Sunday when I let the dogs out to go potty knowing that Cedar's collar, this dog is giving me problems, guys, Cedar's <laughs> collar was dead. So I beeped, you know, it was 4 o'clock or something like that. I beeped, everybody came back after they were done going potty. Cedar's not, it was raining, Cedar's not coming back, and I'm like, oh no, like... So I'm calling for her. If I beep my truck horn, usually she comes. So I was probably out 10 minutes, and I beep the horn. And then all of a sudden, I see that this this car is parked kind of on the curb, and the dog is running towards me. I'm like, oh, okay, she's coming back. This is great. Um, this car just must have wanted to make sure that she got home. No, she got hit by the car. <laughs> yeah, that was tragic. Uh, the, yeah. But so, she made it. She made it like this dog, like it's, she had scratches, but it's like she came out without a scratch. She had like a minimal bruised lung and she's got like a little bit of road rash. And now she's like, Meh, nothing happened. Let's go chase deer. Woo-hoo! She's like, you should have seen Three the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> so yeah, life's been like, fun. Seth. I always think it's funny how people in, like imitate their dog's voice. Because I have six dogs, so I've like asked my wife, like, what do you think they would sound like if they could talk? And yeah, it's always an interesting conversation with people to when they talk, like, imitate their dogs. So I guess Cedar is a like middle-aged, like, she's a Karen. She's a Karen. Like a bat. Just gives you the stink eye and will do whatever the heck she wants and doesn't give a crap about anybody. She's a hell's angel. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I got a quick question. If I can, real quick, is that all right, everybody? I guess. No, not at all. Of course. Okay. <laughs> Andrea, you're new in hound hunting, and I just wanted to ask you, what do you love about it so far? Because I love talking to beginners. I mean, I act like I'm some kind of old veteran. I haven't been doing it that long, but I <laughs> love to talk to people that are just getting into it because I think it's 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 like um the enthusiasm is very in- contagious. And so, um, like, what do you love about it so far? And, and uh, yeah, just tell us what you think is so awesome about sure. houndsmanship so far. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, there's, I guess, a few key points. Um, I love, like, the spookiness of the night, like, how dark it is and how scary it is and how you have to, like, just face it <laughs> and go into ah, crazy awesome. bushes. Do I you take your light and put it under your chin? Do you put your light under your chin and shine <laughs> yeah, it up? Yeah. Lauren. <laughs> I don't have Lauren. to. Dude. And I like I remember the first time that we ever went out and we're like busting through all this brush, like no path, just like pulling through all these um thorns and stuff and I was like, I don't know how to get through here and Lauren turned to me, she's like, You just gotta blaze the trail, girl, and just goes forward, walks forward and I was like That yeah. night was <laughs> blaze the trail. Insane. Insane. Oh my gosh. That night like kind of like still haunts me. <laughs> I say shout out to Brett Moore from the Mexico Houndsman Association because he was my first follow the Coons Houndsman into the night thing. And he's 80 and he's like, come on, boy, get on your hands and knees and let's crawl. And he's just oh, like, oh, going man. So I'm just on my oh, hands and following an old man through the woods. And he's just like, can you keep up? I'm like, yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, you just hear a faint bang and you just you're just crawling through the horrible thick willows. And the whole time I'm thinking, please, please, please 
do not put my hand on a rattlesnake. That is the only thing I was thinking. I was like, you do not, guys. Goodness, crazy. We don't have, like, we don't have those, yeah. where, those where I hunt. I mean, I think they're around Devil's Lake and stuff like that, but... Um, yeah, there's a couple. <laughs> to talk about, like, the whole spookiness of the night, like, what I appreciated about starting this was getting over that spookiness. Like, I was terrified mm-hmm. the first time I went out alone at night. Like, so yeah. terrified that I was probably out 10 minutes, and I was like, nope, we're done. <laughs> well, Clay Newcomb, Clay, Clay Newcomb, in his pod, when we had him on, the reason he started coon hunting was to overcome his fear of the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember that. Yeah. And um, my mentor, Eric, said a good thing. You know, we've done you know, I've done so much hiking and stuff during the daytime and I'm such a quote unquote nature girl during the day or was, um, still (laughs) am, that there's nothing out there at night that isn't there during the day. And honestly, now that I've been out so much at night, like, I think it's so cool. Like there's like the coolest bugs that you see and like mushrooms and just like weird stuff that's cool that you wouldn't notice before. Like, I didn't know that turkeys lived in or roosted in trees, like, and they scared the crap out of me one night. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I was that dumb. Um, and, you know, hearing coyotes and, and um, I don't know, just like noticing the game trails that the deers make and the deers, the deer. Um, Did you yeah. say deers? I said deers. Geese, guys, <laughs> goose. Yeah, exactly. It goes back. Deers, deers. What's it? What's a pack of pigs called? What's that called? Sounder. A sounder. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think so that team is super great. cool. What yeah. a challenge! I mean, what a crazy thing to do, and and just the things we've seen. Yeah, whether it's wildlife or just the snow, how it lights everything up, or you know, snowing in the middle of the night, or I mean, it's just. Learning yeah. how to navigate at night. Right. Yes, learning how to navigate. I mean, it's a it's a challenge that makes you feel good at the end of the day that you made it home and you got all your stuff still, except for maybe a couple of things maybe you lost in the woods. But you know, like it's 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 such a challenge, and I I love a challenge. I cannot resist. You it. will, and you, so <laughs> Andrea, you're yeah. going to enjoy it so much, especially when this this young hound starts showing some potential. And, uh, she has yet to, uh, sorry to cut you off, but Andrea has yet to come w- in the swampy swamps with me. She got her, her hip boots now. Yep. Yep. So got my hip boots locked and loaded. I'm ready to you go. You are in for a treat. <laughs> I, I applaud your, yeah. I applaud you getting involved, Andrea. I really do. I think it's pretty cool. And, well, and you're excited you. about it. Excited. So I'm super excited. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm and I love- so excited to have a friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I, know I bet it is exciting for you to have a friend. I don't have a lot of friends. I mean, maybe <laughs> Andrea is my only friend. Oh, and get maybe out of Chris here. and Seth, maybe yeah. you're not my friends. Maybe you're just. <laughs> like- <laughs> you said my face is jerky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but friends give each other crap, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. I've got a, yeah, I've got, it is, bef- it's nice. Yes. Before we wrap this up, I've got a, I've got a question for you. So I want to ask the two of you or the three of you, um, you're all about the same age and, and when you get to be older and you hear, you, you kind of develop these opinions about the younger generation and, um, <laughs> We're coming up on Memorial Day here, 
And when I think about Memorial Day, being a veteran and, and different things like that, I, I, I get pretty emotional about that about the price that was paid for our freedoms. And I want to ask each one of you what Memorial Day means to you. Seth, you sure. go first. Go ahead, Seth. It's because Seth has been quiet the whole time. <laughs> Which is very rare for me. I, I was learning a lot, so I wanted to just listen. Well, you know, Memorial Day has a lot going on in my family. Um, there's a long tradition of being Marines in my family. And um, my brother, uh, my, my great uncle, my uncle... Um, going back pretty much as far as I'm aware. And so um, we always take the time on Memorial Day to just kind of gather around as a family. I'm, I'm going to be going back to where I'm from, through the consequences, and uh, hang out with my family. My brother and everyone will be there. And um, I think it's just really important to um, take the time to remember, you know, well, Memorial, to take time to remember that all the things that we have in this country that was given to us by all the Americans that give their sacrifices in the service and, and in the past to, to let us live the life that we're doing right now. I mean, you know, I, we were talking about that on the drive up about how we're, we're, we're driving across the state to go, you know, thermalize some bacon and live this life of hunting with dogs and scouting for things. And, and we have these abilities in this great country to, to live. Everyone lives a life that they love and we can, um, you know, determine our own path. And, um, I think it's important to, you know, remember that this price of freedom isn't free and it's really important to take the time to remember all the people that have served. <clears throat> and uh yeah. Um I we always always get together Memorial Day and go to the lake and hang out and and you know, it's never frivolous but the point is to to express the freedoms that we all have and um take joy in them. So to all the people yeah. that have served, thank you. And uh, and uh, I'm very glad we live in a country where military service is volunteer and that everyone that has done that for me, I thank them greatly. I, I was very highly considering it, but I just took a different path in life. And uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm very happy I live in America. Let's just say that. Yep. And uh, <laughs> before I get I'm too choked up, I'm going to pass the ball to somebody. Don't even start that. Oh my goodness! I got a story. I'll, I'll tell a story about that sometime. But um, yeah, I and, mean, go ahead, Lauren. I mean, think of you know all the people going back to the from the beginning of this country's inception. That you know, whether it's sacrificing their lives, their time, their families, like time with families or creating a family, whatever it is, you know, we have to remember that we can't take whatever we've got right now for granted you know we've got people out there that have been out there that um really sacrificed for what we have now and i i've been able and fortunate to travel to a bunch of other countries and see what life is like there and what the military is like there and been able to to talk with um people not just from the countries that i've traveled to about you know, how things are in their country versus um, the United States of America. And it's really enlightening to be able to share your opinion um, and your experience with someone that has something completely different. And I, I thank that experience for me to, to be able to, to share how awesome 
United States of America is and what what brought us to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I kind of wish that I would have gone into the service, but I guess things were just different when when I was coming out of high school and it was things were pushed differently and I've talked with my family about this now you know I kind of wish I went into the trades and you know hindsight's 2020 right but you know my granddad and my grandpa they were both in the service and I think that's super important and there's so many people out there you know if I see you know an old man that has his you know U.S. Navy hat on and stuff like that like I thank them for their service because it's it's monumental what people have done for this country and yeah i i it means a lot and honestly and some people know this like i get a little teary-eyed when our national anthem's played because you just you think about what that means yep so andrea cool yeah those are great thoughts um when i think of memorial day i guess i think of um my dad was drafted into Vietnam, uh, you know, and he really <laughs> served our country. And I don't know. I mean, it affected him forever. And, and one of my closest uh, co-workers, Chris Shirley, uh, was in Iraq, was in the Army for six years and did several tours in Iraq. And in talking to them, I, I hear firsthand, like, the things they've faced and dealt with and moved on, you know, I mean, whether it's from basic training to actual combat, you know, these people are dedicating such a huge part of their lives to our country that, you know, it's really something worth sitting down and thinking about and saying thank you and, you know, realizing the sacrifices they made are, to me, unimaginable. So I think, you know, I'm thankful for that and Mm-hmm. And I and I try to never forget it. Yeah, and and give back when we can. You know, we talk about freedom yeah. hunters and where we're partnering with them, like with our podcast. Right, that's, and that's and that's what I would wrap this up with is, you know, Memorial Day is a weekend. It's a it's a single day that that we can memorialize those who have given the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms we have. And yeah, I heard each one of you talk about. Well, at least Lauren and Seth, I heard you say, you know, I considered going in the military. I considered this. But you, we can all be patriots in our own way. We can all be patriotic. My wife is, uh, she's one of the most patriotic women that I know. She never served, but she decorates our home with the red, white, and blue. Um you know, she flies that proudly. She's proud to have a United States Marine. She wanted a United States Marine Corps plate on her Subaru uh, from, you know, because <laughs> of my service. Um, so we can still be patriots, and we can be patriots by not taking the freedoms we have, have that have been bought and paid for with the blood of patriots for granted. We can get involved in our state hound organizations. We can go to those wildlife management meetings we can all sit back and say, well, I don't have time to do it. Well, you think anybody had time to go die on the beaches of Normandy or in Vietnam so that we can squander the freedoms we've been given? And we're at a point in our culture now where we we have to have all hands on deck 
So even as hunters, we are a patriotic group, but we've got to get involved. And that's what Memorial Day means to me, is exercising your freedoms that have been paid for. Great. Cool. Yeah, great points. So, that's a good place to wrap it up. And Donnie. I think you're going to go, you're going to go hunting tonight, huh, Chris? Yeah, Donnie Walston, Mr. Big Country Blue Ticks. I'm in his garage right now. He's putting boots on. So I've got to <laughs> sign off. So until next time, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine.